Okay. Well, if you uh, have been here the last few weeks, you know we are studying in the letter to the church at Ephesus, the Ephesians letter. So you can be opening up your Bibles to uh, the book of Ephesians if you want to. Uh, we uh, have been talking about the theme of Ephesians the last few weeks, and we're reading in that first chapter where that's Paul kind of plays out that theme, right? The theme of the blessings and the riches we have in Christ Jesus, right? And I'm going to read again, beginning in verse 4. We've read this a couple of times, but let's read chapter 1 there, beginning in verse 4. He says, uh, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And so we've talked about, had a couple lessons on the blessings we have that Paul mentions here. First of all, the blessings we have in the Father, right? One is we are chosen by him to be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, don't get that wrong. We're not chosen for salvation ahead of time. We're not chosen, in other words, without our free will. We have the free will to choose him. We have the free will to obey his commandments and to become a Christian. But what he's saying there is we were chosen by God, those who obey, to be holy and without blame. Why? Because he sent his son. We also says we are predestined to God, God to receive that adoption as sons of God. In other words... Because of that choice we make to obey and become Christians, we are now adopted as sons of God, children of God, okay? Not that we were predestined for salvation, not that it was decided long before time that we were going to be saved, as some would say, but that we were predestined to be adopted as sons of God because of our choice. And then in verse 6, he says, accepted by God. That is to be highly favored by him, right? In other words, in the Old Testament, we read about the Israelites, right? The Jews, the chosen people, God's people, right? Now that the gospel has come, that Jesus has come, that gospel is for all those who would believe, all those who would obey, all those are now accepted by God and are highly favored in Him. Each and every one of you that have chosen to become a Christian, right? Each and every one of us. That's an awesome thing, isn't it? We are truly accepted. We are highly favored by God. Do we ever consider that? Do we ever think about that, really? Do you ever ponder the fact that God favors you because you are an obedient servant of His? That's kind of an awesome thing, isn't it? And then the next week, we talk about the blessings that we receive, those rich blessings through His Son, right? And they include, we read in verse 7, that He, because God has redeemed us, through the precious blood of his son. So we have been redeemed. 
We have been reconciled. We are now back in relationship with him. Remember we talked about when Christ died, what was the first thing that happened? When he gave his last breath, what happened in the temple? The veil was torn top to bottom. We now could go right into the throne room. We didn't have to have the high priest to do that one day a year on the Day of Atonement. We now could have a relationship with the Father because Christ's blood that was shed and those who believe are made pure, are made faithful, are made accepted, highly favored by God. And part of that is that he forgave us our sins. Jesus Christ's blood, because of that, he was shed, his blood was shed, he forgave us our sins. He also revealed his will to us pertaining to that plan to gather into one all things in Christ. We just read that, right? Interesting point, isn't it? You see, Paul talks a lot about that mystery, right? That mystery from the beginning of time that no one knew that was, had to be revealed to us in the flesh through Christ Jesus. We read about that in John 1. It's very plain, isn't it? Beginning was the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among men, John 1, 14. So we know we have a Savior, and He has revealed that great plan for us to be redeemed, forgiven, and reconciled to Him. And then we talked about in verses 11 and 12, He's given us an inheritance. Part of that predestined plan, we have an inheritance coming. Right? Those of us who have parents that are still around, we hope we're going to have an inheritance. You know, they may spend it all before they're gone. We don't know. But we have an inheritance coming of a parent that's going to pass, right, because we are our son or our daughter of our parents. The same deal. We are adopted as sons of God, and we have an inheritance. We can look forward to that. We know that's coming. We can have assurance that that's available to us because of his predetermined plan to send his son that we, those who believe on him, will not perish but have everlasting life. So, interesting statements, a wonderful theme that Paul is laying out here to the brethren who are in Ephesus. Let's read on about this doxology in the next couple of verses and see what else we might glean from this. Beginning in verse uh, 13, he says, In him, Jesus Christ, and notice, mentioned this before, but do you notice how many times in him is referred to in those passages? It's amazing how he keeps talking about in Christ. It's not anything you've done, it's in Christ that you have this. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. He talks about the Holy Spirit there, the guarantee of our inheritance. I just mentioned that last in verse 12 there, he talked about that inheritance we have, that thing we look forward to after this life, that eternity spent with God in his kingdom, right? Well, how, what is the deal with this, this Holy Spirit? What, what's he talking about? What are the blessings that we have Involving the Holy Spirit. Well, interesting statements, right? I know many of you have probably had some studies on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit seems to be mysterious to us, right? In the flesh, it's harder, kind of hard for us to understand what the Holy Spirit is all about, right? We know the Holy Spirit exists. We know about the Trinity, right? The one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? 
when we become Christians, we're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? But the Holy Spirit's that mysterious thing that we don't know and quite grasp sometimes, right? And Paul's trying to explain that a little bit. Paul's going to talk about what that Holy Spirit does for us. In verse 13, he says, the Holy Spirit is our seal. Interesting concept, right? What is, what is a seal? What, a, what is the word seal referring to? Well, a definition, uh, the Greek word is phragisho, which means to set a seal upon, mark with a seal, or to seal. That didn't really tell us much. But a seal could have been, was used or is used for various reasons, right? I'm going to read a couple of passages from the Old Testament today. A couple of books that we don't refer to very often. Turn over to Esther. I want to read something from there. Esther chapter 3. And let's see what is written there regarding a seal. Esther chapter 3 and verse 12. He says, Then the king's scribes were called on the thirteenth day of the first month, and a decree was written according to all that Haman commanded, to the king's satraps, to the governors who were over each province, to the officials of all people, to every province according to its script, and to every people in their language. In the name of King Ahasuerus, it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. Now, if you've ever paid any attention to a movie about, I don't know, kings of old or whatever, generally speaking, they had a ring, a big old ring on their finger, had several maybe. And one of those was probably a signet ring where they would have a mark for their kingdom, right? And when they sent a communication somewhere, they would perhaps, perhaps uh, someone had to carry a letter somewhere, they would seal it with that signet ring. They put wax on it or whatever. You've probably seen that, right? Probably still, maybe some of you still do that. I don't know. And they would put their ring, stick their ring to the hot wax so their seal and their mark would be there, right? And then once it arrived, as long as that seal had not been broken, you could say that was truly from the king, right? That was what that was about. It was in a, a security thing. It was a, uh, a way to mark the guarantee that this is a genuine document. Or perhaps this might refer to someone who was a genuine person. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and let's see what that says about um, this, a seal or, or a, a guarantee. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. <clears throat> we'll read a verse from there. A couple of verses, actually. Verse 9, chap, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. Paul says, Am I not an apostle? And I'm, am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Interesting concept. Paul's saying, you people who have obeyed the gospel that I preach to you are my seal, my guarantee, my proof that I am an apostle, my proof that I am from God. In other words, that seal was a guarantee that the, something was a genuine document or a person was a genuine person. It was also used to mark ownership, right? Turn over, this is a... Old Testament book we don't really refer to too much, but turn over to the Song of Solomon. We're going to read something from there, if I can find it, because <laughs> I'm not in there very often. Uh, all right, let me find my Song of Solomon. Well, I should have had this marked. All right. Yeah, pull it out. 
this is a good verse is why I, wanted, I want to see it. Uh, turn to Song of Solomon, chapter 8. And let's see what is said there. <clears throat> this is the Shulamite woman to her beloved. And she says in verse 6, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. So here we have the Shulamite woman saying, make me your seal. In other words, take ownership. I am your wife, I'm your woman, mark, mark me with your seal. In other words, he's saying you have ownership. And then there's another reason we might have a seal. Turn over to Matthew chapter 27. And let's see what we see there. 27 verse, uh, toward the end of the chapter. Verse 65 says, Pilate said to them, You have a guard, go your way, and make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. So, when Jesus was buried, they put a stone in front of the tomb and they sealed it. Now, you can think of sealing as, I don't know, gluing something together, sealing it airtight, right? But in this instance, a seal was to prove if anybody broke that seal, somebody was trying to tamper with that tomb, right? If you've ever worked with, uh, I don't know, a trucking company, maybe some of you have done that. You've loaded trucks at some time in your life. I did that back years ago. And if there was a special shipment that was going somewhere, someone wanted to make sure nothing was tampered with and they would put a seal in the lock of the door on the back. And they knew when it got there, if that seal had been broken, somebody had been in that truck, right? So it's a mark, a guarantee, a mark to show whether something's been tampered with. Uh, security, right? To prove, not necessarily keep somebody out, but to prove somebody's been messing with it. So that's an interesting point that we have with a seal and the Holy Spirit is talked about as being our seal. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. Let's read a few verses from Romans chapter 8. As I've mentioned, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. Chapter 8 and verse 6, he said, Paul says to the Christians in Rome, <clears throat> For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay? So here we have talking about those in the flesh and those not of the flesh. Then turn over to verse 16. He says, The Spirit himself bears a witness with our spirit, not of the flesh, that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. In other words, and there he's saying, the, the, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, that we are guaranteed, that, that we have a guarantee 
of our character, right? We have a guarantee of our genuine character. Verse 9 there in Romans 8 says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So I just mentioned that. We are in the flesh, but we are not of the flesh, we are of the Spirit. Right? And so we have the Spirit as our seal, our guarantee that what? He owns us. We are His. We're not ourselves. We're not owned by ourselves. We're not owned by our spouse. We're not owned by our family. We are God's. We made that choice to turn our life over to Him. Right? Verse 13. Actually, you start in verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if thy spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. It's by the Spirit that we put to death the deeds of the body, of the flesh. All right, how is that done? Easy to read that and easy to say it, right? How is it done? Okay, we have the Spirit. We have that guarantee through that growth while we're studying the Word in prayer and service, we are growing. We put away the deeds of the flesh. Think back to when you first became a Christian. Can you see a difference in the way you live today than you did then? You might say, well, I've always kind of lived a good life. But that spirit was what was involved there to make you change. Had you growing. Yes, maybe you always kind of been a good person, right? But you didn't have that attitude or that mindset that I am his until you became a Christian. Therefore, the reason I'm changing is because of that spirit he's given me. The spirit of God that shows I'm owned by him. I can remember thinking... You know, at times maybe when I was messing up and I, I couldn't seem to get past something, and I would think, do I really have the Spirit? Would I be doing that if I had the Spirit? You know, and kind of, kind of and, and, and maybe I doubted whether I had the Spirit, and, and maybe so many of you have done that too. I, you know, maybe you've doubted your salvation at times because you're struggling with something perhaps, you can't seem to get it out of your life, whatever that is. And, and I've even thought before, it would be real nice if I was still back in the first century when I, and I could do something miraculous. Then I'd know for sure, right? But you don't have to. You can know that you have the Spirit. And you can pretty much look at your life and the way you live your life. If you're living according to His will, according to what He wants, that's the Spirit at work in your life. You can say, well, I don't feel the Spirit. I don't know. Well, no, we, it's mysterious. We, we don't understand it in the flesh, right? But we have the Word. That word was revealed to us through the inspiration of that spirit, right? We have the ability to pray, go right into the throne room and pray to God. We have the son who gave us that ability by his death, the shedding of his blood. And we have that spirit just like the apostles had at the beginning. Sure, they could do some miracles through that spirit. They could do some miraculous things. They had some physical manifestations of that spirit that we don't have today. But we can still have that guarantee, that mark of ownership from God. 
I would encourage you to dwell on that a little bit. Think about that in your life. How has the Spirit led you through the Word, through prayer, through service? And think about that. That's our seal, our mark. That signet ring has been placed, you might say, on our heads that we are truly His people, His sons of, truly the sons of God. And that seal has also been put there, as we just mentioned, to protect us against tampering or harm. Turn back over to Ephesians, and let's look at chapter 3. Beginning in verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole, the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. He goes on to talk about that proof of ownership that he has given us through the Holy Spirit. That strength that we receive through him, right? <clears throat> that ability to carry on. In verse 14, he goes on to speak of that guarantee until, after, until the redemption of the purchased possession. What does he mean exactly by that? He's talking about something that perhaps is going to occur later. You might say that was at the time we became Christians, but I think what he's really saying there is a future redemption. Something that's going to come. In verse chapter 4 there, look at verse 30 and see what he says there. He says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. He's saying there's something that's going to occur the day of redemption. He's going to redeem that final redemption when he brings his people home with him. That Holy Spirit is that guarantee, that promise that he has purchased us and that redemption that's going to occur. Yes, we're redeemed now in the body, but we have that hope of that eternal life that's going to occur, right? Notice there in verse 31 too, in helping us understand things about the Spirit, he says, let all bitterness... Wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. These are not things of the Spirit. Interesting, right? We can know things about the Spirit, but what he's saying there, these are not things of the Spirit. These are things of the flesh. Put them away. And as we do those things, that's how we can know we have that Spirit, right? We make that mental decision to do that. We are redeemed, we are saved. And we're constantly growing, constantly putting these things off. We're not going to do it perfectly. We're not perfect, but we are moving that way, right? We are trying to follow Christ. We are trying to be like him. So we are sealed for that day of redemption. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. When does that occur? Let's go back to chapter 1, verse 13 and read that again. I want to see what he says again. He says in verse 13, In whom you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. When are we sealed? When we hear the truth, we hear the gospel, and we believe the gospel, and we become a son of God. Turn over to Galatians chapter 4, and let's see what... He said to the Galatians about that. 
Verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Because we have been adopted as sons of God, we are now heirs. We have an inheritance coming. That occurs when we believe and we put on Christ. Turn over to chapter 3 there. When does that happen? Verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So, we receive the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, 38 and 39, right? Repent, each and every one of you. Be baptized in the name of the Father, the Holy Spirit, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's when we receive that seal, that guarantee, that mark that we are truly sons of God. All right. Paul's reassuring them that we have a great blessing in the Holy Spirit. This seal is a mark of ownership, or it, you could say this seal is a mark of ownership, something that might be more significant perhaps to God and maybe to Satan, right? In other words, if you think about that mark of ownership, that, uh, that matters in the world, right? People see you by the way you live your life. And if you are living a life in the Spirit, not of the flesh, people are going to notice. The world's going to notice because it is enmity to the world. But maybe that mark has more to do with Satan and God, Right? We talked about that mark not being tampered with, that seal not being tampered with. Perhaps it has to do with Satan trying to steal souls from God, right? Messing with that seal. God marks us with the seal of his Holy Spirit. Satan knows that you are of God because of that. Probably even more than we can know, right? And Satan wants to break that seal. Saint wants to tamper with that seal. So perhaps that's more what is referred to here than anything else. It gives us a promise of what else lies ahead as well. And what we've learned here, we know what we have coming. We have a guarantee, right? He talks about there in verse 14. A guarantee, the word, Greek word is Erebon. It's used to refer to money, which is used to purchase as a pledge or a down payment, when you sign a contract for a new home, you got to give something, right? What do you got to do? Earnest money, right? Pledge. You got to give a pledge. You got to make it something that could hurt if you don't live up to your side of the bar bargain, right? Yeah. You're giving a pledge. You're giving earnest money. That's what he's referring to here. We have a guarantee. He's giving us a down payment with his Holy Spirit. In the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, the word is translated pledge three times in Genesis 38. Turn over there to Genesis 38. Just read, read that real quick. I want to see that. Genesis 38, uh, beginning in verse, let's see, 17. And he said, I will send a young goat from the flock, so she said, will you give me a pledge till you send it? Then he said, what pledge shall I give you? 
So she said, your signet and cord and your staff that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. So she arose and went away and laid aside her veil and put on the garments of her widowhood. There's that word being translated as pledge. It's something that God has pledged to us as a assurance of what's to come. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and let's read something there. Verse, uh, <clears throat> verse 20 says, For all the promises of God in him are, are yes, and in him amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us in God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. That pledge, that earnest that he has given to us that we will have eternal life with him. It's a guarantee of what God has prepared for us. It's a blessing of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, giving us a foretaste of that which is to come, that glory that we are to receive. Do we look forward to that? I know we, we stay pretty busy, right, it's in our lives. We've got things to worry about. We have children to follow after. We have bills to pay. We have jobs to do. It's something that we probably don't put at the forefront of our mind, right? Maybe we should more. When you're worrying about something in your life, maybe if that remembrance of what's to come, that guarantee that we have, that seal that we've been marked with through the Spirit, would help alleviate some of those things we deal with, right? These viruses run rampant through our lives, right? Some of us have contracted, we have friends and family. Some of you know someone that has passed, perhaps because of it. But we know we have that guarantee. Through thick and thin, we have eternity with him. That's that seal, that's that guarantee. Turn over to Romans chapter 15. I want to see something else that he says about all this. <clears throat> Verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. W what a verse, right? I mean, what a verse. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Believing in God should fill you with joy and peace. That comes from the Spirit. But you don't always feel that way, do you? I know. Got to be real. I know there's... You can't be joyful and peaceful all the time, right? But because of this guarantee, this guarantee of the Spirit that we don't understand necessarily sometimes, 
We should, right? Why not? If you truly believe that he sent his son to die for you, that you may have eternal life, then why don't you? What matters on this wor- in this world? Sure, you need to love each other and you need to take care of each other and, and then you should have concern for each other. Not saying you don't need to do that. But ultimately, what's going to matter? That you had the Spirit. That you had that guarantee, that seal. I know that's easier perhaps said than done. But I'm trying to point out what Paul is saying here to the church at Ephesus. You have great blessings in in Christ Jesus. Riches that the world will never understand. What a wonderful verse. Perhaps that's something you need to put down in your repertoire when you need to go somewhere and get encouraged. That's a great verse for that right there. He serves as such until the redemption of the purchased possession we just mentioned. In one sense, we are redeemed through the blood of Christ. In another sense, God has yet to redeem those who were truly his. That day is coming, right? We have that to look forward to. Until that day, the Holy Spirit serves as our guarantee that that final redemption will one day take place. Uh, Brother Copeland puts a comment in here from Hendrickson from his commentary. He says, At that moment, when believers receive their full inheritance, which includes a glorious resurrection body, that's chapter 4, verse 30, the redemption of God's own possession takes place. That is, the full release of him, of that which is by virtue of the fact that he both made it and bought it. You see, you were created by God, and then he purchased you through the blood of Jesus Christ. He gave you that free will so you could decide. But he determined ahead of time those who believed would be predetermined to be highly favored by him and would have that seal, that guarantee through the Holy Spirit. So we have this Holy Spirit. We don't necessarily understand how it works so much, but we know we have the Word, we know we have that ability to be in prayer with him, have that relationship with him, and we have his church. Fellow believers, fellow people who are marked with the seal. Each and every one of you in here are marked. You're bought. You're a possession. You're owned by God. Did you know that? Do you believe that? No, I'm, I'm owned by the company I work for. I work for the man. He owns me. Nah. Think about eternity. You're here working. Maybe you've got another 20, 30 years to work, provide for your family, provide for yourself. That ain't nothing compared to eternity, man. Nothing. Life is like a vapor, right? Here for a little while, and then we're gone. Eternity is what's going to matter. That's really what matters. And you have that mark, you have that seal, that guarantee of the Holy Spirit. You should be full of joy and peace.
And as we read at the end of in John, the last few verses, you can have that abundant life while here on earth. I don't know what you're going through, but you should have peace. That surpasses all understanding. The world don't get it. They think you hate people because you rebuke them because, you know, they're living a life that's not going to get them to heaven. They think that's stupid. I don't know. I get a little riled up about that. Seems like that's getting worse and worse every day, you know. Well, that's because you have something else working in you that's a little different than what the world has working in them. Not saying you shouldn't love the world, love the people. Want to express the gospel to them that they can know what you have and you should be ready and willing to do that. But know that you have the Holy Spirit as a seal and a guarantee. So how should you react to that? Lord talked about the fact that you should be peaceful. You should have that joy, right? Paul says in verse 6 there, we should know we have these blessings to the praise of his glory. Turn back to chapter 1 there. And let's read what he says there in verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We have it all. As Christians, we have it all. We have everything that God intended for us to have. So what do we do? We should be praising Him for that, right? We should be thanking Him every day that He has given us everything we need the richest blessings that you could have. It's not material. It's not fleshly. It's spiritual. And through that spirit that he has given us, we now have that guarantee and that seal to know that we will spend eternity with him. So, as we close today, are you praising God for his wonderful grace and mercy? Later on, we're going to talk about, in this letter, what Paul talks about, how we can walk worthy of that calling with which you were called. You have been called to do. Not just to sit in the pew. You've been called to do. Hope you're doing that. Hope you're praising God. I know, I'm speaking to the choir here. You're here today, and we're going to be praising God here. Well, in a sense, we already are. But we're going to be outwardly praising God here in just a few minutes. I hope you do that to the fullest of your ability today. All right, time's up. Thanks for being here.